the test for deportation. You're listening to the Public Law Podcast, brought to you by the members of 39 Essex Chambers. Hello and welcome to Current Trends in Public Law. This mini-series is part of 39 Essex Chambers Public Law Podcast. In this series, we highlight important developments in public law areas, keeping you informed of changing trends that could matter to you. I'm Emily Wilston, a member at 39 Essex Chambers. Today I'm joined by my colleagues at 39 Essex, Niasha Weinberg and Chiara Cordoni. We will be discussing the latest Supreme Court case on deportation, HA Iraq and others. In three cases, HA Iraq, RA Iraq and AA Nigeria, the Home Office made a deportation decision, the individual succeeded on appeal in the first tier tribunal, but the upper tribunal remade the decisions and dismissed their appeals. Then, the Court of Appeal allowed appeals from those decisions of the upper tribunal. So in each case, the Home Office appealed onwards to the Supreme Court and they were all heard together. The justices who heard these cases were the President, Lord Reed, Lord Hamblin, who gave the only judgment, and Legat Stevens and Lloyd-Jones. There were no dissenting judgments. Now, these cases all raised same issues that concern foreign criminals facing deportation under Section 117C of the Nationality, Immigration and Asylum Act 2002. And it's important, I think, to remember when we discuss this case that the purpose of the statutory scheme is to provide a structured approach to Article 8 issues. So we have Article 8 running underneath all of this. Within the statutory scheme, those sentenced to more than 12 months, but less than four years, can avoid deportation if they can show its effects on a child or partner would be unduly harsh. Question for the Supreme Court was whether the Court of Appeal had failed to follow Supreme Court guidance in KO Nigeria by rejecting the approach of assessing what was unduly harsh by reference to a comparison uh, of what would be involved for any child faced with the deportation of a parent. In the statutory scheme, those sentenced to four years or more have to meet the test of unduly harsh and, in addition, show very compelling circumstances over and above that exception. The question for the Supreme Court here was the relevance and weight to be given to two particular factors, rehabilitation and the seriousness of offending. And this isn't the first time the Supreme Court has looked at these tests. In KO Nigeria in 2018, another panel of judges, which also included Lord Reed, looked at the test, looked at unduly harsh, but in a slightly different circumstance. They looked at whether the word unduly includes a requirement to consider the severity of the parent's offence. Lord Carnworth said it was a self-contained test. And, and he also went on to say that unduly harsh implies an element of comparison. It assumes that there's a due level of harshness uh, and said, quote, one is looking for a degree of harshness going beyond what would necessarily be involved for any child faced with the deportation of a parent. In the present cases, the Court of Appeal judgments in 2020 rejected a comparative approach saying that unduly harsh means a degree of harshness going beyond some threshold acceptable level, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you can identify a baseline of what is ordinary, because how a child will be affected is very fact-specific. However, there is an earlier line of Court of Appeal cases which disagreed and which the Home Office relied on, PG Jamaica, PF Nigeria, OH Algeria and KF Nigeria. And the Court of Appeal has used in those cases lots of comparative phrases, such as the degree of harshness which would necessarily be involved for any child or partner of a foreign criminal faced with deportation. And um, it's difficult to identify anything which distinguishes this case from other cases where a family is separated. And it is necessary to look for consequences characterised by a degree of harshness over and above what every child would experience in such circumstances. These were all cases that the Home Office relied on and wanted to say that the Court of Appeal in our cases had got it wrong. 
This set the stage for a return to the Supreme Court this year. The first issue that the Supreme Court therefore considered was the unduly harsh test. And Nyasha, you're going to tell us now, I think, about um, exactly how they considered that test should be applied. Yes, and thank you very much for that introduction, Emily. The key issue then before the test in relation to unduly harsh was what that meant within the section of 117C of the Nationality, Immigration and Asylum Act 2002. Foreign criminals who have been sentenced to terms of imprisonment of at least 12 months but less than four years, who are described then as medium offenders, can avoid deportation if they can establish that its effect on a qualifying child or partner would be unduly harsh. So that's exactly the definition that was in question. And Emily has given a really helpful background to the principal legal issue, which was whether the Court of Appeal erred in its approach by failing to follow the Supreme Court guidance in KO Nigeria. In the case, the Secretary of State argued with reference to that guidance that the unduly harsh test requires a comparison to be made with the degree of harshness which would necessarily be involved for any child faced with the deportation of a parent. And that undue harshness means a degree of harshness which goes beyond that. So the Lord Commonwealth statements that Emily made reference to, which appear at paragraphs 22 to 23 and again at 27 of the judgment, were deemed by the Secretary of State's submissions to amount to a notional comparator, which in effect means that there is a baseline level through a comparison against another child, against which undue harshness would be evaluated. Um, The submission was that the unduly harsh test requires a comparison to be made with the degree of harshness which would necessarily be involved for any child. Thus, the notional baseline comparator was to any child, i.e. a child in that child's circumstances. The court rejected the argument advanced by the Secretary of State that the notional comparator approach in um, KO Nigeria was the appropriate route to be taken for the following reasons. The judgment in KO Nigeria taken as a whole, not simply that one sentence from Lord Carnworth, makes clear that no notional comparative test was intended. The court found that to adopt such a baseline comparator approach would be unworkable because there is no satisfactory way to define what the relevant characteristics of a notional comparator child would be. Simply put, there are just too many variables in how those baseline characteristics might manifest for any comparison to be workable. If you were also to read that baseline literally, that would include children for whom a parent's deportation would be of no real significance, despite them having a real and subsisting relationship with that parent. The risk there is that would lead to a low baseline level of due harshness, and that would run contrary to the high standard envisaged in KO Nigeria. The notional comparator approach, were it to be adopted, therefore would give rise to the risk that a court or tribunal would apply an impermissibly high threshold. Such a high threshold was deemed by the Supreme Court to be potentially inconsistent with the statutory duty to have regard to the best interests of the affected child. And this should be a primary consideration following Section 55 of the Border Citizenship and Immigration Act 2009. 
Um, And just to recap, that best interest assessment requires the court to have a clear idea of the child's circumstances and of what is in a child's best interests, which means carrying out a careful examination of all relevant factors where the interests of the child are involved. I'm just going to repeat that careful examination of all relevant factors. The notional comparator approach therefore risks the court applying an exceptionality threshold, looking for exceptional or rare cases, with the consequence of perverse results. Therefore, the correct approach to follow um, is for the tribunal to make an informed assessment of the effect of the deportation on the qualifying child or partner, and then to make a judgment as to whether that elevated standard has been met on the facts and circumstances of the case. And as a reminder, in relation to the elevated standard, KO Nigeria stated that unduly harsh doesn't equate with uncomfortable, inconvenient, undesirable, or merely difficult. Rather, it poses a considerably more elevated threshold. Harsh in this context denotes something severe or bleak. It is the antithesis of pleasant or comfortable. Furthermore, the addition of the adverb unduly raises an already elevated standard still higher. Thus, drawing from the KO Nigeria guidance recognises that both the level of harshness which is acceptable or justifiable is elevated in the context of the public interest in the deportation of foreign criminals and that unduly raises the standard still higher. The tribunal must therefore make an evaluative judgment as to whether that elevated standard has been met on the facts and circumstances of the case before it. Um, And now I'm going to pass over to Chiara um, for the next part of the podcast. Thanks, Niesha. So the next thing the court looked at was two factors which are relevant to the very compelling circumstances test. This comes from section 117C6 of the Nationality Immigration and Asylum Act 2002, and it relates primarily to serious offenders. So Niasha mentioned medium offenders, but these are foreign criminals sentenced to a term of imprisonment of at least four years, and they can avoid deportation if they can show very compelling circumstances. It's also relevant to medium offenders if they don't fall into the two exceptions uh, that Niasha mentioned earlier. They can also avoid deportation if they can meet this test as well. So it can be relevant to both categories. The court then looked at two factors that come under this test. The test as a whole is essentially a full proportionality assessment weighing the Article 8 ECHR right to private and family life against the public interest in uh, deportation. So when they're conducting this assessment, there's a full list of the relevant factors summarised at paragraph 51 of the judgment. That's quoting from the ECHR case, uh, Unani and UK. The two relevant ones to this appeal were the time elapsed since the offence was committed and the applicant's conduct during that period, which is relevant to the rehabilitation question addressed here, and the nature and seriousness of the offence, which is relevant to the seriousness of the offence question that was addressed in this case. So looking at rehabilitation, it was common ground that it was a relevant factor, but the court examined why it's relevant, so the reasons for that, and what weight it should be given. Now, the upper tribunal in RA, which was one of the cases uh, that was joined together, had said that rehabilitation should not be given material weight, essentially because not having committed further crimes is nothing more than is expected of everybody in society. The Court of Appeal, on the appeal from that, agreed that it should rarely be given great weight, but not with the reason why. 
And they said that essentially it's relevant because it goes to reduce one of the elements in the weight of the public interest in deportation, which is one side of the proportionality exercise that you're conducting under this test. So no definitive statement could be made as to how much weight it should be given, because that's a matter of assessment for the fact-finding tribunal, which is what the Supreme Court said in paragraph 58. But there was uh, essentially agreement with the Court of Appeal that this should still generally carry very little weight set against the public interest in deportation. It's based on, that public interest is based on more than just the need to protect the public from further harm, but also wider policy considerations of deterrence and public concerns. They did clarify uh, the Court of Appeal's assessment of the reason a little, essentially saying that in cases where the only evidence of rehabilitation is that no further offences have been committed, that's likely to be of little or no material weight. But on the other hand, there may be cases where there's evidence of positive rehabilitation reducing the risk of further offending, and that might have some weight, again, because it bears on one element of the public interest in deportation. So they disagreed with the upper tribunal uh, and went with the Court of Appeals reasoning. Um, There was some suggestion that this was a departure from a Court of Appeal case called uh, Binbuga, but the Supreme Court said, actually, this is the same, uh, essentially the same assessment. Uh, and agreed with the Court of Appeal. They then looked at another factor, which is the seriousness of the offence. And this is a factor that must be taken into account when carrying out a proportionality assessment for the Very Compelling Circumstances test. That's because it's in statute, it's at section 117C2, and that uh, statute states, the more serious the offence committed by a foreign criminal, the greater is the public interest in deportation of the criminal. So you have to assess uh, seriousness of the offence. Now the question in HA and RA, two of the cases in this appeal, was how the seriousness of the offence is to be assessed. The Secretary of State had criticised the Court of Appeal for placing emphasis on the sentence imposed as a criterion for establishing seriousness. But the Supreme Court accepted that the sentence can reflect considerations other than the seriousness of the offence at 66, but ultimately that it can be used. So what they said was, uh, and there was a lot of focus on the fact that, for example, there's a discount for early guilty pleas, which can significantly reduce a sentence while having little to do with the seriousness of the offence, that the sentence can reflect something, not just the seriousness, but seriousness is relevant. And ultimately, the practical reality is that an immigration tribunal making this assessment is likely to not have much more information about the offence other than the sentence. They said it might be possible to look at sentencing remarks if they're available, especially if they clearly explain whether and how the sentence had been influenced by factors unrelated to seriousness. So it should be clear in sentencing remarks if discount was being given for guilty plea credit. Otherwise, the Supreme Court said at paragraph 67 that the sentence is the touchstone of seriousness and should be taken into account. Now, the Court of Appeal had rejected this as an inappropriate refinement of the statute, essentially because the provisions relating to medium and serious serious offenders make no distinction between discounted and undiscounted sentences. But what the Supreme Court said at 68 is that these are two different things. There was a need for a bright line in order to make a clear distinction between medium and serious offenders. But when you're conducting the proportionality assessment and looking at 
the seriousness of an offence, much more can be taken into account and considered. Any evidence bearing on seriousness was relevant, not just a sentence. And that's because the same crime, for example, uh, jointly committed robbery, is equally serious, despite the fact that one robber may have received considerably reduced sentence for an early plea. But the Supreme Court did make clear that the fact that somebody may have acted appropriately in acknowledging guilt early can still come into the proportionality assessment, but that's relevant to the rehabilitation factor and not to the seriousness factor. That's at paragraph 69 of the judgment. The other brief issue uh, in relation to seriousness of the offence factor was whether weight could be placed on the nature of the offending in addition to the sentence imposed. The The court held quite clearly at paragraph 70 of the judgment that it can, although courts do have to be careful to avoid double counting, because of course the nature of the offence may have been taken into consideration in arriving at a sentence. And that's supported by the Strasbourg jurisprudence, which refers to both nature and seriousness, although the statutory test just refers to seriousness. That's how they addressed the very compelling circumstances test. So thank you so much, um, Chiara, for that. In terms of the overall effects of this case, we can see there is some assistance for those representing individuals that the Home Office seeks to deport. They've laid to rest this comparative approach, which, as Naisha says, had been built on a single sentence in KO Nigeria. While superficially attractive given the wording of the statute, in reality it was clearly very difficult to establish any sort of logical, valid comparator um, without getting um, completely muddled. It really wasn't an easy test to apply in practice. It also promoted a particularly tough approach by tribunals. And as, as we can see, while the statutory scheme is tough, it's important to remember it's a stretched approach to Article 8 and it takes into account the interests of the child. So overall, to show the effect of deportation on a child or partner will be unduly harsh. Um, We think the best practice will be to evidence in as much detail as possible as many factors as you can find that are specific to those individuals that mean the effect on them will be particularly harsh. Um, Will it be easy to predict first-year tribunal outcomes? Probably not. The judge has to have in mind what might be an acceptable level of harshness versus an an undue level of harshness. That's an evaluative question. It's intensely fact-specific. When it comes to very compelling circumstances, unsurprisingly, perhaps, um, again, everything is very fact-specific and case-specific. The weight to be given to any factor is ultimately a matter for the first-tier tribunal. There is, unsurprisingly, a difference between no further offending and evidence of positive rehabilitation. And the sentence itself is only one factor that points towards the seriousness of the offence. In individual cases, whether um, further detail about how the sentence was reached, um, if that's available, if people want to adduce it on that, is likely to depend on what it actually says about the seriousness of the underlying offence. And the Supreme Court also looked at judicial restraint in relation to setting aside a decision of a specialist tribunal. And I think, um, Niash, you're able to tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, just a brief point, which um, appeared at the end of the judgment, which the, the court effectively reminded that judicial restraint should be exercised when considering to set aside a decision of a specialist tribunal in general, but here specifically the first tier tribunal, Immigration and Asylum Chamber. And importantly, what was reminded in the judgment is that one should not assume that the tribunal misdirected itself just because every step in its reasoning wasn't fully set out. Um, And that was taken from an earlier judgment, R. Jones, against the first-tier tribunal. In the particular case of AA, which was one of the three judgments looked at, 
the court found that there was no basis for the upper tribunal to properly intervene with the decision of the first tribunal when the FTT found that the deportation would be disproportionate in Article 8 terms. Practically, therefore, that means that there is likely to be more scrutiny of any appeal from a specialist tribunal um, when that decision has been taken with insufficient or at least few reasons um, on the basis that the specialist tribunal is is there and well equipped to do its job. Um, so practitioners should be aware of the use of R and Jones, um, the case cited in relation to that point. So in closing, thank you so much to Nyasha and to Kiara. This judgment is going to be a touchstone for immigration um, deportation practitioners in the future. We're all going to be referring to it a lot. And it's really important to understand um, how the Supreme Court has set out um, the test for unduly harsh and the sorts of factors that are going to be relevant for very compelling circumstances. And it's, it's a welcome um, correction of a, a certain line of Court of Appeal cases on unduly harsh, which was uh, just going to make everybody's life very difficult. Hopefully now it's a little bit easier, if, um, as always, very fact-specific. If you want to know more about the work that we do at 39Essex, then visit us at 39Essex.com. If you want to connect with us on social media, you can connect with the public law team at 39publiclaw. Join us next time for Current Trends in Public Law, available wherever you download your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Find our other podcasts and resources over at 39essex.com. Listener.